Thank you so much, Rosanna, for being here. Thank you so much for your time. Can you give us a little bit of a background about yourself? Why you became a sex, sex therapist? What made you interested in it? And why did you exactly go down that route? Um, so I noticed at some point in my life that, like maybe junior high even, that um, talking about sex was much easier for me than it is for other people. And I credit that to my mom. She was always really open about sex, not like her sex life and her and my dad's sex life, but about um, like bodies and, you know, what are they doing on TV, mom? You know, like she just explain when two people love each other, like that kind of thing. Um, and so it was just like not a shameful topic with me. Neither was bodies, um, it, both male and female bodies. But it's not that we were, you know, walking around naked. It's just like if it came up, she would use the words and tell me what what's going on. And so it made it so it's just a everyday topic. Um, and so, like I said, I noticed really early on that it was easier for me to talk about things or even ask um, sex or body related questions um, where other kids were not doing that. And I think that got me like piqued my interest. Like, why is it so difficult for other people? And um, and it's such a secret. Like everyone's keeping these big secrets and yet everyone's also a sexual person also has genitalia and they also also know that the other people do and so it's it was a little bit confusing to me um and then so that was just like you know an interest of mine I didn't really expect for it to be a career um I had a first career and something totally different and then when I was like just searching for what I wanted to do as um you know in my late 20s as a second career I volunteered at a rape crisis center, piqued my interest, and I started volunteering there. And oh my gosh, like as a volunteer, all I was there for is to, um, it was called an accompaniment person. So all you're there is to literally accompany or sit with a um, survivor of rape while they're getting the rape kit done and interviewed by the police and all of that. So that was a very unique experience in which I got to see, you know, night of or day of um, and incident that happened. And I felt really, uh, well, I felt really grateful for that experience, but I also felt really trapped in my role. Um, Cause you know, I would hear things like parents blaming the kid. I told you not to wear that skirt, like stuff like that. Um, and, and my, the rules were, I'm just there to accompany. I, I'm not a professional. I don't, I don't really have an opinion. Um, I'm just there to be with. And so it was really difficult. <laughs> just to sit and hear these things. And I wanted to do more. And so I started um, a training, further training with that um, agency in my volunteer work. And in that training, I was like, you know what? I think I want to do this even more. So I wanted, I went back to school to get my master's and then eventually my doctorate and became a sex therapist. That's the story. That's Are you a travel nurse or planning a long-term vacation? Finding housing can be one of the most stressful parts of your journey. But don't worry, Furnished Finder has you covered. With thousands of furnished properties across the U.S., from one-bedroom studios to three-bedroom family homes, you can find the perfect place to call home. Not only does Furnished Finder provide you with a wide range of options to choose from, but they also make sure that each property meets their high standards of cleanliness and safety. Travel with a peace of mind 
and find your home away from home with Furnished Finder. Visit Furnished Finder today to start your search. Super cool. Yeah, I want to touch upon, I have a lot of questions to go through my, my head right now, but first thing I, I want to ask you about is going back to your parents. Did your parents show a lot of affection like around you when when, uh, when you were growing up or affection uh, for each other? Because for me, my parents never really um, showed affection in a sense, especially from like them together. I maybe saw them kiss a handful of times, you know, mm-hmm. that, but but I never really see them so much affection. Their affection was always, you know, in like a private setting, you know, yes. and I, they, didn't, they didn't tell me like, I love you a lot either, either, but I'm curious from your practice, have you experienced or have you noticed that with people that grow up in families that show a lot of affection, are they more open about sex? Are they more affectionate to, to begin with? Because for me, so my girlfriend, she's not a big into like public affection, you know, but I like to show my affection a lot, like hugs, kisses, all that kind of stuff. So I, I like, I like that. And I enjoy that. My parents never really showed that versus for her, her parents showed a lot of that, but she's not really too, too big, too, too yeah. uh, big into it versus me. So I'm curious, uh, like what's your opinion is on that. Do you think that families that yep. show more affection, they have kids that are more affectionate? How, how, how does that kind of um, work? Yeah. So w- what I grew up with was, well, I should preface it by saying my mom uh, got pregnant with my older sister when she was 18, had her at 19. But, you know, oops, <laughs> with my dad. Um, and so I think I, she has told me, not I think, but she has told me that the reason she was so open about it was because of that experience because she felt like had someone been more open with her and it wasn't so like we don't talk about that we don't do that like that kind of thing um she thinks life would have been very different that is why she did it and then in terms of their affection they're affectionate like you know sit next to each other on the couch um but when my when my mom would give my dad kisses in front of us. He's like, he, you know, his cheeks turn instantly red. <laughs> um, so he, he would get shy about it, which I only found like more adorable. Right. Uh, but he would get shy about it. And my mom would like funnily try to be sexy, you know, like, come here, give me a kiss, like that kind of idea. And he'd, yeah. he'd go like, Oh my God. Um, so that was their, so they'd like have fun with it, I guess is what I'm saying. But affectionate in the way that they sit by each other on the couch um it's not like they're holding hands walking down the street typically you know and more affectionate than some less than others um and i think it normalizes for kids what to you know when you see in your home is often what you model in your relationships but it sounds like in your girlfriend's case not maybe she learned that was too much for her or whatever it is um, I don't know if that's even as a couples therapist, I I am unsure if that if your parents' levels of affection produces a specific reaction in kids. Again, it is a model, but it's not your only model. So I don't know. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Thought effects. Yeah, that makes sense because I've been looking at a lot of like trauma stuff, you know, and usually if there's like trauma in a household or something, it gets passed on to the trauma, you know, to, to the yeah. kids. And then if they don't stop it, then it kind of continues. I was wondering if it's like the opposite thing with like affection, you know, you have a lot of affection, so... Now you have a very affectionate you know, child and then so on and, and so forth. But what I've been seeing a lot on the a, on a news too and just, just on, on, on the internet and, and on YouTube is, especially because we had this like push for like masculinity and stuff in a sense with the whole Andrew Tate and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I've been looking at like studies uh, regarding porn because porn's on, on the rise. Like I could look at like 10, 15 years ago, porn wasn't so accessible. So now it's super accessible, and I and then some people have told me that hey, you know, porn has ruined ruined my relationship. Uh, so what? I was kind of curious on your take uh, on on porn because some of the statistics that I read is that like 30 percent of people that do watch porn believe it is a problem, and around fifty percent of divorces are have some kind of uh, issue with with porn, and that's why people get divorced. So I was kind of curious on like your take with with that. I do see it for sure being problematic. Like for example. You know, even like candy, sugar, you could take it in small amounts and it's good for you. But if you over consume it, diabetes, all that kind of stuff. So my idea is like with porn, same thing is if you, if you can manage it properly, just if, you know, if you feel the urge, you know, go ahead, do your thing. But if it becomes like a daily issue where you're not talking to a woman because you rather just go home and you know jerk off or whatever. So I was curious on what's your take on, on this whole porn, um, globalized on a porn pandemic or just porn <laughs> yeah, in general. Porn yeah. Yeah, same, same. Anything in moderation, totally fine. Um, if it's it's not a cause a problem unless it's causing a problem, right? But what does causing a problem look like? It could look like um, small things, like I was too busy masturbating to notice I was late for work. I was, um, you know, on the computer, and my daughter's really needing to use the computer. You know, like so. It's not a huge problem, but it might be causing like small problems or problems um, with uh, connection within the household. So little things like that are a problem. So sometimes it's just hard for people to identify that it's a problem. So if if you had a um, inkling inside that it it was a problem, then you can ask a professional and they can help you with that. Um, but yes especially for these younger generations, people having compulsive or a- addictive, however you want to think of it, um, porn usage is going to continue to be on the rise for sure. Regarding the divorce statistic, I didn't read the study, but it, it's interesting because so the people who use compulsive porn that I've seen, um, and I'll just say men, I've never even worked, I've never worked with a woman with compulsive porn usage. But so for the men that I've worked with, the commonality between them is, um, how do I say, uh, they're kind of isolated or don't, even if they have a family or girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, 
they choose to isolate because they don't want to talk about certain things or they're very lonely. Um, so essentially, when you use porn, you're getting a simulation of what it would be like to be with others, right? And so you're getting a little taste without any of the um, risk. Yeah, any of the risk of being with a partner. And so, yes, sometimes that's great. Just like masturbation, like with or without porn. Yes, sometimes that's great. But most people wouldn't choose to mostly do that because they like having that other person in there, right? They like feeling another body and they like having that intimate connection that comes with it as well. And so when people are leaning to porn mostly, it's because they like to be emotionally disconnected from that partner, from another partner, and and be with themselves. And when I say like, I mean they like it better than the alternative. So it's not like I just prefer to be alone, so this is how I'm going to do it. It's more like I'm too nervous or scared to talk to my partner about what I really need to talk to him or her about. And so I'm just going to stay in here. Are there yeah. scheduled so break? going back to the divorce, it's like, is it the porn's fault or is it that I like to isolate, that I have trouble talking to others about my feelings, that kind of thing? Okay. Yeah. And then you're saying that they don't want to talk about it. Is it because, is it because they're scared that their partner is going, going to leave? Um, it's because it's like, it's hard to talk about, I guess, um, especially when it comes to sex. And as I say, you know, you, you like this person, but like the sex isn't isn't the best, but it's hard to communicate there, right? So is that like the the main issue where it's just like it's it's a hard topic to talk about because you don't want your partner to feel like they're a failure because they're not able to satisfy you? Is that like the like the main reason why? Well, what I mean by talk is about anything. So like, you know, I I mean, okay, so we all masturbate for various reasons to help us sleep, to get rid of stress. I don't know when we're sad, when we're happy, when we're mad. <laughs> like, any any emotion that comes up there, sometimes people go to masturbation, right? And sometimes when you're mad, you want to go to your partner and vent. And sometimes you want to just, I don't know, read a book by yourself. And sometimes you want to masturbate by yourself, right? And so it's, it's what I'm saying is those people are often or more often than not choosing the isolated version of their coping instead of reaching out for their partner. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Which then creates what? So it's not I'm not it's not I'm only not talking about sex. I'm not talking about my work life. I'm not talking about my struggles. I'm not talking about us. Like so I'm just isolating from you because I'm not I don't want to talk. So it's For is it a sense. Yeah, so it's not like, it's usually not just like one issue. It's because there's just one problem that kind of stems to everything else. And it seems like the major issue is just, just communication. Um, when it yeah. comes to, you know, work, responsibility, just 
just just just like life you know just because i noticed like i have relationships too where people are together but you never hear them like talk to each other or, and, and it's like if you're not you know we're, we're all sitting around here we're all talking but you're never talking like to each other that that definitely is going to trickle into into everything because when you live with somebody or, or you're with somebody your life are your lives are basically like commingled in, in a sense you have to be able to talk about things even though things that you are uncomfortable because if you're not able to talk about those uncomfortable things then everything necessarily is, is going to be going to be uncomfortable every emotion is, is going everything. to be uncomfortable so do you think that uh, so being a couple of therapists, the main problem with with people staying together is is poor communication. Not just like you know, not just like sex is the issue, so relationships are ruined. It's more like a communication kind of thing, right? It's communication, but it's also um, um, like the blame game, you know. So like he communicates badly, she communicates badly, instead of like, okay, what do I need to do in my communication? So maybe I'm, um, when I'm telling my frustration, what I'm really doing is criticizing. How can I do that in a better way? Or when I'm sharing my frustration, what I'm really doing is yelling. How can I do that? How can I do it in, in a better way? Right. Okay. So, so it's, it's communication, but it's also a little deeper than that. It's not just like what you're saying; it's how you're saying it and where it's coming from. Mm. So um, just to make this clear, so it's like, for example. If like I have an issue, it's not only an issue with what my partner's not doing; it's also an issue with what I'm not doing, right? Totally. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Even if your partner is, you know, small example, leaving their shoes in the hallway every single day of your life, and every day you say, "Can you pick up your shoes from the hallway every single day?" It's also your issue because it's the way in which you go about it. It's the way in which you ask. Are you saying, I told you to pick up your shoes, right? Or are you saying, hey, so I, we've talked about your shoes like seven times now. Is there something I can do to help? Or like, what what is it that we need to do here? You know, that that gives a better response than I told you to pick up your shoes, right? How is one going to react to the first one? How is one going to react to the second one? It's more of like an attack versus like a compromise. In a sense, that's kind of how how it comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, with your experience, do you have you noticed like a pattern of um, maybe issues that men struggle with and issues women uh, a lot of times struggle with? For example, um, like I feel like a lot of men maybe struggle with more of the emotion side of things uh, when when it comes to relationships. So I was kind of curious, maybe like what women struggle with the most, and or maybe. What women struggle with the most and um, what they, for example, need the most. Is there any kind of like commonalities that, that you have seen or like a pattern? Mm -hmm. And so you're talking about not just sex, right? So it could be both. Uh, uh -huh. it, it could be just sex or or just because you also did, did a couple of therapy, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So, I'm, so in, I mean, in, in uh, sex issues, men often struggle with um, performance anxiety or or expectations around being masculine essentially so you know i'm supposed to be assertive i'm supposed to have a very hard erection i'm supposed to have that erection immediately um i'm supposed to always want sex i'm supposed to know how to ask for it or know how to get it all these things around masculinity that um are frankly not true there's not supposed to anything um so that that is 
often their issues in the bedroom. Not only am I supposed to, but also I'm supposed to, and then, and therefore you are supposed to. So I have this role, you have that role, right? So I'm supposed to want sex all the time, and you are supposed to give me sex when I want to have sex, right? So there's like this, this discrepancy here. Um, and then for women, it varies. Um, as I mentioned before, sexual assault is huge. So that is a huge problem that women come for sex therapy for, um, as well as sexual pain. There's a various um, diagnoses of that, but uh, pain in and around vulva is uh, more common than you would think. Um, and then desire discrepancies. So I I do or don't want sex more than my partner, more or less than my partner. It goes either way. Um, but even with that, for ladies, wanting sex more than their male partner feels bad sometimes. Like So for them, it, it feels like um, he's not attracted to me and he should be attracted to me or I should be beautiful or I should be skinny or I should be little, you know. The list goes on and on for what females believe they should be as well. So in the sex realm, that's what's going on there, um, mostly. And then in terms of couples, it's a lot of, like we said, communication, how I'm talked to on both sides. I would say there's less differences within the sexes in terms of relationship issues. Mostly communication, um, how we argue. I mean, I guess I could say that on a whole, men are more avoidant of emotional conversations and women are anxious with them. And so what I mean by that is um, they really want to have them and they want to have them soon and they want to have them often because that is how they can feel cared for and loved and like know that their partner is interested in them, cares for them, loves them. And because... Um, it's difficult to speak in these generalities, but let's let's do it. But but because sometimes these more avoidant type males don't want to have the conversation, it only makes her want to have it more, right? Because he's like kind of running away and she's like chasing him down. Like, what? How? Talk to me. You know, this kind of dynamic. It's called, um, yeah, avoidant and anxious dynamic. It happens often and the sexes can be flipped in that for sure but more often than not it is a anxious female and avoidant male okay yeah i read um i forgot what the name of the book is oh it's called attached and it went Love through yeah yeah it went through like the four different um like relationship types styles. yeah 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 so that, that was real cool i know you know it's hard to make general generalizations but does bad sex lead to bad relationships or maybe and even how, let's just say um, I'm not satisfied. How can I talk to my partner to make my kind of needs known without making them feel bad? I mean, they're always going to feel like like a little bit, bit bad, like I completely understand. But how can I approach that, that situation uh, for people that are struggling with? How can they approach the situation of communicating to their partner where, hey, can we maybe change some things up in a bedroom? Mm, okay. So does bad sex lead to bad relationships? No. Um, but means some things so it could mean um there's a lack of communication or freedom 
maybe not freedom. Safety, feeling safe in communicating, right? So if I if I tell him that I actually don't really like this, he's going to think I'm criticizing again or, you know, whatever. So um, it, it also could mean um, that one or both of the partners are are thinking of sex as a duty instead of pleasure, which is never hot, right? Um, so like our beliefs about sex, communication about sex, it means there's something off in terms of their sex life. Often that that goes into the rest of their life. So if I believe as a woman, my duty is to give sex, I probably also believe as a woman, my duty is to you know, do the dishes every night and cook all the meals. And then I'm just running around stressed all the time because I have too many duties and I also have a job and, you know, whatever. So it normally does is like a microcosm of what's happening in the relationship. If I'm too afraid to tell my partner something because he'll think I'm criticizing him, then I'm too afraid to ask him to pick up his shoes because he, he'll think I'm criticizing him. Okay. So it doesn't mean bad relationship necessarily, um, but it probably is the same reasons why. Mm -hmm. So then, for example, if, uh, let's just say, you know, in a relationship, um, you have a lot of sex in the beginning and then it starts to tape, taper down the, this dad kind of showing, Hey, this might be, might be something going on. Like I don't understand there's like the honeymoon phase, but to say you're past the honeymoon phase and you know, sure. you, you're constantly, consistently having sex X amount, amount of times and then slowly starts to taper. Does that kind of signal that hey maybe there's some some kind of disconnect going out outside of the bedroom and more with the relationship itself sometimes it also could mean like maybe we just need to talk about it so maybe one or both of us are going through a phase or a season in life like maybe we just had kids um maybe and by just i mean like a year ago is still con like you're still getting used to those kids kind of um Maybe uh, it's just really stressful at work. Maybe I'm not feeling right in my body. Maybe I put on some weight, maybe whatever. Maybe I'm getting older and I'm just like, I don't know, stiffer. And I don't like how it feels. Like So essentially all it means is you need to have a conversation. So if you're in a phase, a, a dry spout maybe, or just less than you'd like, you just, you just ask. Like, hey, I noticed we haven't been having sex as often. Is that have, has it been bugging you? It's been kind of bugging me. Yeah, me too. I thought it was you. I thought it was you. I feel like that happens a lot. <laughs> okay, so if it's not me, it's not you, then what's going on? And the other thing that's probably going on is lack of prioritizing. Because eventually, as you're saying, honeymoon period ends, we run out of the just like internal, just like, come here, you know, this passionate drive so eventually it just needs to be prioritized this is important for our relationship so why is it not something on on, on our minds like it's just supposed to happen is a bad plan in a long-term relationship i'm not saying you have to schedule it every time but also realize you make it happen it's not just gonna happen and then you also uh, brought up uh you mentioned like having kids how does how does sex change after after having kids? How did how did, how does that impact the sexual relationship? Because I've also heard like people at the gym, you know, they because I talked to a lot of guys. Sometimes they they say like, you know, ever since I had kids, like 
we stopped having having sex, and then like six months later, you hear that they're they're divorced. So how mm-hmm. does why does that why does that change? Is it once like you said, is it because of priority? Um, are they not making the time for it? What what are some reasons behind that? Time is a big one, but before that, so starting with like pregnancy, sometimes men will have a difficult time having sex with a pregnant wife. Her body's totally different, right? Or even the mental of like, my baby's in there. (laughs) Which of course, they're not in contact with the baby (laughs) at all, but like whatever, it's mental. Um, So that happens sometimes. Um, And then of course the healing process after you have a child at least six weeks, you're not to have sex, but that's at least, right? So you need a doctor's clearance to have sex. Um, And then after that, like the mother is going through so much, especially if they are breastfeeding. Um, Although, of course, using your breast to feed a child is not sexual whatsoever. It makes your body um, feel sort of like a machine or a nurturing vehicle instead of like a sexual person, right? So it really changes along with hormones breastfeeding and the hormones running through and this, you know, little crying (laughs) baby are really changing for the female, essentially everything about her sensuality. Um, And then so for males, it, or even in a lesbian relationship for, for partners of someone who just had a baby, it, there's less change and there just is. They are also having hormonal changes. Um, you know, not physical more because of emotions. Their hormones are changing as well, but not to the same degree whatsoever. And it isn't changing their body as much. They don't feel that. So from the pregnancy to early early childbirth time, that's what's going on. Not to mention they're not sleeping for, I don't know, for six months or so. They're they're not sleeping really. Um, And then you're right, prioritization. So... What I would say to anyone who is in a couple who doesn't have kids yet, if sex life is struggling before kids, it's going to be 10 times harder after kids. So what you need to do to prepare is you can have your kids, but you have to get the sex life settled before. And then once you're both on the same page about what we like, what we don't like, um, and also when we like to have sex, how we like to initiate, that sort of thing. It's both it's important to both of us. We're going to prioritize both of that, both it for both of us. Um, then you can have your children and rest assured that your partner knows it's important. You know it's important. We know we can get back there is essentially once you have the skills to get back there, you, you can. And then you make it work. There are nap times. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Kids go to bed at like seven thirty. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, but then you're ready to go to bed at like seven. Yeah, you're ready to go to know? bed too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's why nap time is even better. I normally suggest <laughs> nap time for new parents. Awesome. Um, yeah, I know we're really short on time, and I know you did work with a lot of a lot of trauma. Um, women undergoing sexual trauma. How does sexual trauma completely change? The, the view of uh, of sex for his people how does how does how and why does it get flipped upside down and how do they sometimes perceive sex and why is it so hard for them to to being more in kind of not being more intimate but how do how do you get them to be 
back to their more intimate self before yeah. um you know the the whole um assault or, or the rape in, in certain cases yeah um so some people who um are assaulted uh like to dive straight into having sex they have a lot of sex and they feel like a real empowerment from that which is good to a point right it's good as long as one of the things um sometimes they're doing is they have this belief that um you know for example all men want to have sex and so if he's talking to me he wants to have sex so i'm just going to initiate it first before he does and so that essentially they're avoiding being assaulted again right so they're taking power over what they are perceiving and this is not at the forefront of their mind i'm talking like subconsciously on some level they're saying i'm going to beat him to the punch and so some people um become very sexually active as a way to control that okay or as you're saying, they kind of avoid sex um, or just have it out of obligation, you know, as fast as we can get this over with, like that kind of thing, because they're not present in their body. And what's happening for them is there's tr what's called triggers, so reminders of the assault. And some people have them in their body. Like I had a client who, who um, learned that when her partner touched the back of her neck, that was like a huge trigger. Every time he touched the back of her neck, she would go like, her mind would just flash right to her assault. Um, so there's triggers in the body sometimes. There's triggers in what people say sometimes or how people say it. Um, another client of mine was very sensitive around any blowjob jokes or anything like that, or even particular ways of asking, you know, like moving someone's head down or like just I don't know, being kind of crude about it. Um, even in her marriage where it is loving, if there was any crudeness around blowjobs, that was like a no-go for her, right? That she would go to this, this trauma place. So there's these like little things. What we do with them is in therapy is we find out what they are. So there's probably more. Let's name them all. And then we... Um, Find out what they mean to you. So, you know, it means he doesn't really respect me if he's making these jokes about it, or it means um, I'm doing something loving and he's seeing it as whatever. It can mean a lot of things. So what do you, what meaning are you making? And then like, let's talk about if that's real. So is it true in this example that your husband, it doesn't respect you? No, he shows me every day all day that he respects me but sometimes he makes these stupid blowjob jokes and I instantly go to this place of he only wants me for sex okay is that true the rest of the time right and so it's not like quite that straightforward and something like that would even be like multiple sessions probably but it is um talked about teased through all these beliefs and then and then therefore resolved once you like talk through them or in the body body areas you can um, do various techniques with them like meditation techniques or guided meditations to uh, to remember what the body's telling you what was the instance and then what are the beliefs attached to there same kind of thing and or 
you talk to your partner about them. I don't like these jokes. We could do anything, just don't touch me here. Simple things. Talk to your partner about them and you learn grounding techniques. So when I am triggered, you know, here's a totally new trigger. I didn't know this one existed. When I, when I am triggered, what am I going to do? And then we'll teach a variety of different tools for that. My favorite one is like a simple motto. Um, so I often use uh, that was then, this is now. So in their head, they'll say that was then, this is now. And just like put them or like I'm in my house, I'm safe. Like something like that. So little reminders of when they're triggered, they can set themselves back to where they are and the person that they're with, who they've chosen to be with. Did that answer your question? Yeah, it, it does. It, it definitely does. You know, like it's, it varies for everybody. Everyone has like a different mode of the healing process. It's just like you said, it's, it's breaking that connection with the trauma that you, that you went through, breaking that connection with what's happening now. In, in a sense, breaking that, you know, like you said, when the, the lady with the hand on her neck, like breaking, breaking that association with it so subconsciously because it was a, it was a big traumatic event. So it's it left a really big impression. And now yes. you have to do a lot of work to break that impression. Like times, a lot of times while well, when we're kids, some of the things that we picked up subconsciously growing up and we, you know, we, we worked with that trauma or whatever. It takes us a long time to get, to, to get over it. Like, you know, you've been traumatized for let's just say the from age five to to ten that's five years of trauma that, that you went it's going to take you you know maybe even five years to get over yeah. that to break that that connection so yeah it's very it takes a lot, a lot of deep work and the crazy thing is is being sexually assaulted and and having anything to do in that kind of a manner it's different than other trauma because sex is supposed to be something that we're supposed to all enjoy and it's one of the things that you share with your partner that you that you know, when you go in a relationship, you don't really share with anybody else. And yeah. having that ability severed for potentially the rest of your life, that that's different than seeing somebody get murdered or getting beat up or, you know, seeing your parents argue or domestic violence. That's different because sex is something that's so intimate. It's so one-on-one. -on -one, it's so physical and emotional. And that's like the one of the most important things you could you could have with somebody in a relationship. Again, that severed, it's, it's super traumatic. Yeah, it's super traumatic. Absolutely. It's most private. You're supposed to be able to give it. It's not supposed to be taken, right? There is there is a lot to it that makes it. And as you're saying, it's more like um, eating or something. Like it's it, it's going to be in your life, right? It's not like a shooting where, okay, uh, like move if you can, of course, but like move or whatever. You can like avoid that. Um, you can't really avoid it. It's in the media. It's like everywhere. Sex is everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's even in a workplace. Like, I'm curious, uh, like, for all the people that, that you see, do you see a lot of healthcare workers? Because I, working as a network in healthcare, like, there's, like, sex going on everywhere. I, it's like a high stressful in, environment, you know, and it just, yeah. people just use it as, as an outlet. It's funny because, like, every hospital that I worked at, even, even travel nursing, um, like, there's always some kind of a sexual relationship going on with some coworker, with some someone going on in healthcare, all that kind of stuff. So I'm curious, like, I have your clientele. Do you have a lot of healthcare professionals? I'm not sure if you, you can so share had, that or I've not. Had, um, I've had a handful of nurses, um, and doctors too, of course, therapists. But it, in terms of nurses, yes, but 
the issues that they were working on is not within their work, but what comes up for their work in their love life outside of work um, has been uh, their exhaustion, right? And a place, especially after the pandemic, a place to go or to be understood with the exhaustion, but also with the trauma that they've seen and um, had to endure. And often they feel this more emotionally disconnected from their partners because they just don't get it, especially after the pandemic. And they don't get it. And I don't get it. But, you know, we can listen and, and help them feel more understood. But um, yeah, that is that has been really impactful on the sex life of nurses and doctors is because when your partner can't understand what you are living in a, your day-to-day life, you feel emotionally disconnected. And if you feel emotionally disconnected, you're going to be feeling physically disconnected. They're, they're connected. <laughs> so it is, it is very common for um, nurses, especially who have been through the pandemic, or even not though, just the, the exhaustion they feel is some after such a long shift is also something that partners can't really can't really understand unless they've been through similar and i'm reflecting on when you said um in the beginning of the show that you know people it was we're talking more about porn where people who you know were watching porn as like an outlet you know they want to go to sleep they're tired they're happy they're sad all that kind of stuff and like i noticed a pattern like for myself is like 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 to be honest I do a 12 hour shift and I'm probably the most horniest after my, my shift. So what I do is I, I go to a gym because like I have so <laughs> much stress at work and you have to keep that bottled up because you have family there, you have patients and you, you can't look stressed. You can't look scared. You know, if someone's complaining to you, you can't, you know, you can't get into argument because they're in a the hospital. So it's like, you keep so much bottled in all the time where when I come home, I just want to release all that. And the, and the yep. like, best way for me to release that is, is like either with sex or just with going to the gym. So usually I go to the gym because if I work night shift, you know, if I come at seven o'clock in the morning, people are tired. So it's like, I got to do my, do my own thing. So it's like a big outlet for, for nurses. I got professionals. That's why I always tell people that are, you know, the tune to the show is go to the gym. If you're a nurse, you have to work out. You have to go to the gym because trust outlet. me, yes, you need some kind of outlet because if you're super stressed and you come home and you know, your partner's up and you know, something happened, they burned the eggs, you're going to explode for, for no reason. So just go to the gym and just get that, get that out of your system because Absolutely. you could talk to somebody, you could explain, but they're not going to, they're not going to get it. And luckily for me, I was born with the luxury of just being able to leave everything at the workplace. Like I just put on a mask and I leave it there. And this kind of sucks for women because they t- tend to take that baggage home a lot of times. And because women are more emotional, they hold on to things a little, a little bit more, you know, they really put their heart into things. That's why they're the best nurses. Like nurses, female nurses are a lot better than me when it comes to the emotional side of things, but they need that outlet. And it's just, like I said, I was lucky to be able to be born with this ability to just leave stuff there. So yeah. my girlfriend tells me it's because I don't care, but to a certain no. extent, I, to a certain extent, I care, but then to a certain extent, I don't care. Yeah. I, I, I don't care what happens when I leave. I care what happens when I'm there, but when I leave, I don't care. And that kind well, of sucks. When you, when you leave, you, you trust the other people on staff. In a, technically, in a, in a sense, yeah. 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 And then, but then she tells me, like, you know, you're, you're the same way about other things. You know, you don't, you don't care about this. You don't care about that. And I'm like, you know, yeah, that's a double-edged sword, that's double-edged sword where, you know, I'll, I'm able to do this in a healthy way. But then 
to that in an unhealthy way. I got to kind of find find a balance. Totally. Yeah. 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 So thanks so much for that. I know you had, got somewhere to be, but really thank you for your time. Uh, maybe you can hop on another episode, talk about some more stuff uh, just because yeah. there's so much more I wanted to ask. But I, like I said, I know we're short on time. You got a, you got a busy day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, one more thing is where do people find you if they want to ask you any questions or reach out to you? Um, on either my website or Instagram, both are togethernesstherapy.com or on Instagram. Okay. Thanks so much, Rana. Thanks so much thank for your time. You. Really appreciate it. Bye. Oh, I got to go. I've been working, told them, please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bruh, just leave me alone. Was on the road, but I swear I'm coming home. Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. See, I did it for me. Now my...